Hello and welcome again to Voices in Innovation. My name is Johnny Baldersberger, hosting on behalf of GigaOM. With me today is Enrico Signoretti, and we are going to be talking about one of his newer reports, file-based cloud storage. Hi, Enrico. How are you today? Hi, Johnny. And I'm fine. And how are you? I am doing just peachy on this beautiful Texas summer day. I don't think it's actually technically summer yet, but we have triple digits heat. So I'm going to go ahead and count it as summer. So, but that's fantastic. I mean, uh, it's, uh, I love warm weather and uh, if it's, uh, if the humidity level is good enough, I mean, it's, uh, it's fantastic. We can trade places for the summer if you like. I'll come to uh, I'll come to Italy and enjoy the coast, and you can uh, come to Texas and enjoy being in lockdown. <laughs> so we can try once. Uh, I spent the morning reading over your file-based cloud storage. It's a fascinating report. Would you mind giving us kind of an overhead on file-based cloud storage? Well, sure. So uh, if you if you look at the cloud and uh, all the cloud providers, we uh, had a, at the very beginning uh, a few uh, services about storage in the cloud. The, the most uh, uh, common was object storage. Okay, so the and uh, we can date this probably 2006 when when Amazon started. They launched the S3. And uh, S3 quickly became very popular, and it is an object store. So you access to an object store via APIs. It's very scalable. It has you know a lot of benefits, but actually it's uh, uh, it's slow and it doesn't uh, uh, really cover all the possible workloads that uh, you can have even in the cloud and even at the time. So after a while. Uh, AWS launched a, a block storage service called EBS. And uh, EBS was, uh, uh, was uh, exactly uh, what you need for persistency. So you can attach this type of storage to a, to a virtual machine and access data and the volume is persistent. So if you reboot your machine or, or if you have a, a fail, your data is still there. But I don't know if it was an oversight or maybe uh, a naive approach that most of the people have when, when they you know, invent new technology. They think all the, all the world will be black and white, but actually it's, not, it's never the case. I mean, and uh, as soon as enterprises started to adopt the cloud, they want files because they are used to access data through file services, okay? So locally in the network via SMB, NFS, and uh, because it's just easier because mo- most of the application in the world were uh, developing this way. And uh, so all the providers started uh, adding uh, file services, but it was late. And many of them were an afterthought. I mean, they were not scalable. They were not uh, uh, good enough for several workloads. And it's opened a, a window for a, a lot of startups, a lot of vendors, storage vendors, so even traditional storage vendors 
to build their solutions. I mean, they ported uh, what they had on premises on the cloud. And you find that uh, there are several solutions, including uh, Cumulo, for example, with uh, its scale-out solution, or NetApp with uh, its uh, cloud services, cloud volumes. And uh, so it's full of uh, solutions. And some of the providers are also investing heavily in uh, file, uh, file storage for the cloud. You kind of, in this report, talk about file storage as though it's emerging, as though it's newer than the other uh, forms of storage that people are using. However, you also describe it as being maybe the most user-friendly. Yeah, I mean, files are uh, the most human interface we have to deal with data, and that's it. I mean, uh, and many applications are developed to deal with files as well. And when enterprise adopted the cloud, started to adopt the cloud, they wanted files because, you know, uh, as I said, it's a, it's a common way to deal with data. So this is an option that uh, everybody wants. So this is a key criteria report, which means we cover table stakes, key criteria, emerging technologies, pretty much everything that a enterprise would need to consider when trying to choose their solution. Let's start with the table stakes. Uh, I feel like all, almost all the table stakes in this report are very self-explanatory, right? Uh, you have how you access it, the security, which anyone who listens to Voices in Innovation knows I'm a huge stickler for uh, security. The two things that kind of stand out to me as being more uh, unique to file-based cloud storage, snapshots <laughs> and licensing models. Tell me a little about what those are and why they're so uh, intrinsic to the technology. Well, you know, if you work with files and you, if you work with um even a file server or a, a NAS filer, the uh, snapshots are table stakes because every single solution in the market can do that, okay? And taking a snapshot of a volume is something now that you give for granted. So you have a volume, an active volume, at a certain point in time, you just click a button or you have an API or a command something, and you say, I, I take a snapshot at this moment of all my uh, volume. So that you have a, a, depending on the implementation, a read-only or a read-write uh, volume that is uh, uh, a copy, a virtual copy of the original one. Okay, and you can have, you can have many of them. So you can consider it as a first form of uh, backup, for example. Okay, you can uh, take a snapshot every hour and uh, you can go back in time and find documents that you modified hours uh, earlier or you can use snapshot for uh, uh, for other tasks I just, uh, for example if you are a developer you take a snapshot then you run your software against the data on a snapshotted volume and uh, and if something goes wrong or uh, the results are not what you wanted, you just delete the snapshot. So the, um, the 
space consumption of the snapshot is minimal. So there are several user use cases for this uh, virtual volumes again. And I call about, uh, them virtual volumes uh, just, you know, it, it looks like an oversimplification, but actually when you take a snapshot, you uh, are not really making a copy, but you have pointers to the original files and to the original blocks. And uh, what happens is that when you write a new file, you just change that file and not the entire volume. So the snapshot at the very beginning uh, is just zero bytes in size, and it grows when you keep changing the, the files in the snapshot. So it's a, it's a sophisticated method to, to have multiple copies without making an entire copy. And it's very, very uh, useful, as I said, for several use cases. On the other end, now we talk about licensing models, okay? And, uh, and of course, uh, both for on-premises solution, hybrid solutions, okay? And, and again, also for uh, solutions that are available only to the cloud, everybody wants to go with a, with a pay-as-you-go uh, model. So paying just for what you are using. This means that uh, instead of buying uh, a perpetual license of your NAS or of your file system, you just pay for a subscription. And uh, that could be, you know, for a, for a very short period of time. Sometimes we are talking about hours and, uh, or even less, and for uh, the capacity you are using. So if today I am starting a new system, I will pay um, by the hour for the total amount of capacity. If tomorrow for, uh, for any reason I need to re remove this file service, I can uh, uh, delete the subscription and pay nothing, okay? And a day later again, maybe I have a new work to do and I need uh, even more uh, capacity than the day before, I can just buy for that day the capacity I need. So it's a very flexible model, okay? Moving on to key criteria, Enrico, there's a lot of different things that people should consider, but one thing that jumped out to me is integration with object storage. Uh, from a layman's perspective, can you kind of talk about why someone might want to uh, have different kinds of storage integrating together and interacting together? Yes, there are several reasons to have this kind of architecture where you have files and object storage, okay? Uh, if you think about uh, uh, the several workloads that you can run on a data center, okay, you have very active workloads and uh, you have less active workloads. I mean, archiving, for example, is not very active. So you write your data once and maybe you will read it again in the future, okay? While for active workloads, maybe you have a data analytics job that is running, so you, you need a lot of uh, uh, IOPS so, uh, to perform a lot of operation per second uh, on the file system. And uh, you need throughput and you need uh, uh, all all uh, the minimal latency, uh, sorry, a, and you need a very low latency on that file system, okay. So 
the problem with uh, performance usually is cost. Okay, so the more performance you want, the more the cost. Because you use flash memory, because you use uh, um, maybe uh, storage class memory, uh, you, you need a lot of caching and so on. Maybe also some uh, additional CPU power to run uh, operation uh, smoothly in the system. But uh, on the other hand, uh, you are storing a lot of data. And uh, how do you combine dollar per gigabyte with dollar per IOPS? It's easy. So it's, uh, uh, you need an object storage in the backend. And there are several ways to integrate the two. On the first thing that comes to mind is storage tiering. So when data is less accessed, there is a mechanism that uh, moves uh, cold data to the object store. Object store is slower and is accessed via API, but it's not an operation that you do. It's the system that does it for you. So every time it checks that uh, some files uh, have not been accessed for days or months or hours, depending on the policy you set up, data is moved to to the to the object store, so you save money, okay? Because uh, it's dollar per gigabyte in that case, and also you save money because you need less licenses for high performance storage. There are other reasons to use object storage, of course. For example, backup and disaster recovery. You can have a complete copy of your data on an object store. You can upload your snapshot, so that we mentioned uh, uh, earlier. Okay, this is the snapshot is the first form of copy, but uh, uh, the snapshot is usually stored inside the system. If you lose the system, you lose the snapshot. But if you offload the snapshot and the snapshot is fully consistent to the, uh, sorry, and if the snapshot is self-consistent, then you can move it to an object store, okay? So that you save money uh, because you don't need storage locally and also it's uh, well protected because it, it is stored in a second system. And also it's cheap because it's uh, object storage costs less. And then there are other uh, interesting use cases for object storage. For example, uh, it's becoming more popular now to have data stored in an object store that can be imported by the uh, file system, okay? So you can populate a file system with, uh, with data that uh, was stored in the object store and you use this file system as a temporary, uh, sorry, you use this file system only for the time you need uh, for your uh, uh, workload, okay? So you run an HPC workload, a big data workload, uh, whatever you need. And when you finish with it, you offload again all your data to the object store. Why do you do that? Because again, the, you can choose uh, the fastest uh, file server in, the, in the, sorry, you can choose the fastest file service. So the, um, with the best uh, SSDs, with the best uh, uh, characteristics. And then when you finish the work, even if it's very expensive, when you finish your work, you offload everything to the object store so you pay the dollar per gigabyte that is very low. And 
There is another advantage in using object stores. Object stores are easier to access remotely. So we explained at the beginning that uh, file is the best user interface for humans, but uh, the file protocols are very chatty and they are not very optimized for the internet. If you have a, um, if you need to access data across the internet, probably an object store that works with HTTP protocols uh, is way better. So you do all your work, you save data on, uh, on an object store, which is easier to access from the rest of the world. And it's, uh, it's becoming more and more popular, as I said. Interesting. One question this leads me to is scalability. Uh, you mentioned the difference between scale up and scale out, uh, vertical and horizontal scaling. Where is file-based cloud storage on that scalability? In general, we can talk about uh, uh, file as a scale up or a scale out service. It really depends on how it is implemented, okay? Um, most of the uh, modern solution now are scale up. And uh, this is an advantage if you, if you need to, to save petabytes and petabytes of data, of course, and also for the performance because the more nodes you add uh, to the system, the more the performance, the more the parallelism in the backend and everything, okay. It's not always the case. Some services are based on a simpler architectures and, uh, and, and they are good for, uh, for uh, you know, workloads that don't need uh, petabytes of data. I mean, it's, uh, it's less expensive, less resources needed to, to run the service at the beginning so at the end, if you need a lot of data, you go for a scale-out solution. If you need a, a limited amount of data, you, you probably go with a scale-up solution. That said, uh, most of the solutions now are scale-out because you know, th there is this need of data that is continually growing. So uh, this is why uh, mini solution are now scale out. Was, Fascinating. Was uh, should I answer it again? No, no, you don't answer it again. <laughs> <clears throat> this has all been really fascinating, and this is a very good report that I think uh, would be very useful for a lot of people. Enrico, if people want to reach out to you, uh, obviously they can do that through Twitter and LinkedIn. I know you're very active on Twitter. What's your uh, Twitter handle? So my Twitter handle is my, um, my Twitter handle is uh, eSignority. So the, the first letter of my first name and uh, my surname, uh, it's a, uh, it really depends on how you want to pronounce because most Americans pronounce it signority and 
Europeans pronounce it uh, signoretti. So it really depends on. So I, I, I suggest you to put a E on front of my surname and you will find me on Twitter. I feel, I feel like you keep mentioning that because I keep butchering your name. Uh, specifically, I think, it, I think you're trying to teach me the right way to say it. Um, so do, do follow Enrico on Twitter. Uh, you talk a lot about data storage and technology, but there's another way. I'm not saying it's a better way, but it is a good way. Uh, if you go to gigaohm.com, Enrico posts many blog posts. He talks about things going on in the tech world on those. And you can subscribe to our reports, which will get you access to not only file-based cloud storage, but uh, evaluating enterprise block storage, numerous reports on Kubernetes. In fact, you'll get access to reports on almost every facet of technology. It's incredibly useful, and we're putting out a lot of blogs, these podcasts, these reports. So go to gigaohm.com and subscribe for future forward advice on technology and the IT industry. Enrico, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, actually. Absolutely. For GigaOM, I'm John Baldusberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.